I'm coming to you live from a podunk hotel in the middle of Jackson, Mississippi. And the South is a great place. I'm partially, I'm happy to be going back closer to all my friends and family, but the South will always hold a special place in my heart. And I love all, the South. You also lived in the South once upon a time. In a I did. Life. I was a child. I was just a child. But let me tell you why I love the South. I lived in Atlanta in the 90s when the Braves were good. And when the Braves made it to the World Series, East Cobb Elementary shut down. Well, we still had to go to school because everybody you know, works. And so they needed babysitters. So the school stayed open, but there were no classes. Instead, we all packed into the cafeteria and we watched the World Series. And it wasn't even the Braves Yankees. I was there in 96. This is when I remember. But we watched the whole playoffs, whether the Braves were playing or not, because we were, we were just waiting, you know, to see who the Braves would play. That doesn't happen in Utah. And I, I just want the people to know that uh, the dedication that is you are pushing through right now, Jackson, Mississippi just gave you a Charlie horse. And as soon as you hit your introduction, I, I just saw grimacing and pain that made me it made my heart hurt for you it looked very serious it was it came out of nowhere and i was trying to get through it so i could stand up keep going (laughs) but i was as i was at dinner tonight i was thinking about and i apologize if the sound isn't great i don't have headphones those are packed in a box somewhere so i just have my mic um but the i was i was sitting at dinner i was just thinking about some of the different things in the south that are so great like you know, the conversation I overheard between these two people who had no idea, they had never met each other before talking about COVID and the election and all of their, you know, mildly conspiratorial theories was extremely entertaining. The weather was on, on the news and there was not, they did not talk about the local new, the local weather currently in Jackson, which it was raining. They didn't talk about tomorrow's forecast, but they had a 10 minute weather segment talking about what the weather would be on Saturday at 3 p.m. for every individual SEC game. So here in the Jackson local news was talking about what the weather was going to be like in Gainesville and in Oxford and in Tuscaloosa and whatever. (laughs) And which that was incredible. And I also realized that I'm very sad. And this is a very, I'm, I don't know if other parts of the country do it, but it's a very Southern thing that everywhere you go, you get a to-go cup. And it's so cool. Or if you order a soda anywhere you go out to eat, when they bring you your check, they'll bring you a paper cup with whatever you ordered, a lid, a straw. And so you can take some with you on the road. And that is beautiful. I don't know why that's not a thing everywhere. Like the only thing I could think of is that there's like here in Utah, is there some sort of like unspoken rule that, uh, you know, that, that swig and fizz and all of those places have with all the restaurants that say, hey, you guys will put us out of business if you start just giving away free soda. So you can't do that. We need you to just send people with their check and have them get on their way. A to-go cup, a to-go cup is genius. And frankly, I feel like if, uh, if I knew that there was a restaurant here, like I'm up here in Davis County, if there was a latent restaurant that would give me a to-go cup, not only am I more enticed to order a soda instead of just water when I'm at dinner, I think I'd be more enticed to go to that restaurant, like simply because I'd take some soda home with me. 
it just seems so obvious. So by the way, and I don't want to restaurant dis- tour listening to this, then that is what we're telling you. You need to do. I'm watching as we're recording Lone Peak and Corner Canyon are playing in arguably the game of the year uh, here, at least so far locally, Lone Peak is up 13 to nothing. And Jackson Dart, he's had his, you know, he's had some struggles, a little uncharacteristic so far. He just connected with, I believe that was Noah Carr. Yeah, Noah Carr on like an 80, I think it was an 80, 85-yard touchdown pass as time expired in the first quarter to pull within a score. Jackson Dart is so fun to watch. If you have not seen Jackson Dart, you need to see Jackson Dart. Look, the chances that BYU lands him are fleeting a little bit because he's blowing up. But just as a football fan, this dude's fun to watch. I don't want those chances to be fleeting because he is so entertaining and he's going to be so good wherever he ends up. But uh, yeah, Jackson Dart, that kid can play. He can, he can spin the rock. He, he can spin the rock. We need, to, we need to start throwing out more cliches, like more college football cliches on this podcast. We need to talk about who's flying around. We need to talk about who can spin the rock. We need to talk – I mean, we could come up with a whole list of these cliches, and I feel like we haven't utilized them enough in our day-to-day or our week-to-week episodes. I do have one cliche. I put this – I mean, since you brought up cliches, I'll bring it up now because I was going to talk about it later in the show. But people always say that you need to establish the run, and that is a horrible, horrible cliche. Like, that's not a thing. Establishing the run – that is what you would call in the business world a lagging indicator. Like it doesn't, you don't start running the ball and then you magically win. It's because you are just bigger and better and stronger and you are a better team. So you can run the ball easily and you win because you're a better team. And when you get a lead, you just say, okay, well, we have a lead and we're getting four yards of carry. So we're not going to stop and we're just going to run the clock out and go on our merry way and take this win home in our back pocket. Like it's establishing the run is not something that magically makes you win a game. And kind of the idea that people do that or, you know, is because if you look at and say like, Oh, you know, when the winning teams, you know, usually rush for 75 more yards a game than losing teams. It's like, yeah, because they're running out the clock in the fourth quarter when they have the lead. That's why they rush for more yards. You establish whatever you're good at. And that's what you do. And if you are Gunnar Watson, the Troy quarterback, you are good at throwing to the right side of the field and you completely forget that the left side of the field exists. Is that not the weirdest spread? I don't know. What do you call this? Baseball, it's a spray chart. I don't know what it's called in football, but is that not the weirdest thing? So uh, we're looking and thanks to our friends at PFF at pro football focus. um, They will, I guess, map the, uh, the passes that every quarterback throws and they put it on, you know, they, they divide the field up into, uh, I guess it's 12 sections uh, and it's the left middle right side of the field. And then they have ranges of behind the line of scrimmage passes that travel in the air, zero to 10 yards uh, ahead of the line of scrimmage, 10 to 20 yards and then 20 plus yards. So you get really 12 boxes that a pass can, can fall into. Gunnar Watson, Troy's quarterback, last week against Middle Tennessee State, threw the ball 37 times. Six of those were throwaways, so they don't get charted. 
the other 31 of the remaining 31 passes, only one of them went to the left side of the field and it was intercepted. He threw 30 times to the right and over the middle, but not to the left hash. I don't understand. I don't really know what that means. Like we can, we can make some conclusions that they either, either have middle Tennessee either has Darrell Revis playing on the left side of the field or they have Pee Wee Herman in eighth grade playing on the right side of the field. And so they, just right. it. but it was, I mean, most over the middle, they hit, I mean, he was 12 or 12 over the middle from zero to 10, like hitting that crosser all day, which you're not going to be able to do that against Peyton Wilgar because he's a good linebacker in coverage. And that is, that is something where that's what they attacked last week against middle Tennessee state. And they will not be able to do the same thing. On and they did it really well. They did it really, really well. That was by far the most uh, utilized route is that crossing route. And think of middle Tennessee, or sorry, think of Troy. Troy's an up-tempo team. Chip Lindsay really, really likes to go fast. They embody everything about Robert and I, go fast, go hard. I think they ran 96 plays last week. And to put that into perspective, uh, BYU ran 71 against Navy, and they had the ball for damn near 40 minutes of that game, and they ran 71 plays. Troy's going to move, man. Like they want to have, They want to have a lot of plays there's going to be a lot of possessions and the way that you do that is crossing routes you short passes you try to move the ball quick and get you know get the ball to your guys in space and you constantly are moving the ball that way they did a really good job um over the middle i'm looking right now gunner watson was 18 of 19 throwing over the middle like that's that's really good numbers so that's something that BYU is going to have to be aware of this week I really am glad that we've kind of just naturally – I mean, I'm going to upset this. I know that you worked with Mitch last week, and he's a professional. And so you guys are used to like these regular – like you might be used to after one week with Mitch, like these transitions that are natural and they flow. And we just transitioned so well into talking about the South and to-go cups, into high school football, and then into our game prep. And – I'm going to stop us from transitioning so well because it feels a little bit awkward for me, but I just want to give you kudos to doing that without me even noticing. You've got like this wry smile on your face right now because I feel like you, you, you were accomplished as a, a show host that you just tricked me into these natural transitions, and I don't know how to feel about that. The, the Gunner Watson, that, that transition was pretty – that's pretty seamless. Of uh, that, that's probably the best one that we've had in the twenty now episodes of the show. Yeah, that was well done. I I am uncomfortable with it. I like more where there's kind of that awkward pause, and then we say, "So now we're going to talk about." That's more my speed. We must be getting better. Well, you must be getting better at this because I I totally did not know what we were doing until I started talking about passes over the middle, and I thought, "Wait a minute, Garrett just tricked me." Because here we are flowing seamlessly and i don't know how i don't know how i feel one week with mitch harper and, and look at you you're you're a regular producer the you know maybe i will become i'll leave my current job and join the radio world not just kidding i will not go and do radio. that doesn't pay enough for my life it's too hard i've seen i've seen all the journalists and radio people and everyone it's a dying industry and it's harder than ever to get a long-term job and mitch is very lucky to be in probably one of the most which probably has the most stable 
sports media job like outside of you know outside of being like a Greg Rubel where you are specifically the voice of a specific team like if you're actually working for a publication Mitch probably has one of if not the most stable jobs in the country especially for like age 40 and younger right like you know I feel like some of these old like the like a Jay Drew and even Jay Drew got laid off at the trip but some of these guys that are established in their career and they're closer to uh, they're closer to retirement than they are to the beginning of their career. I feel like those guys, unless the newspaper just totally closes down, those guys are going to still have a job until the end. Um, but in that younger demographic where I, I feel like it's easier for a newspaper to lay off because you're not making as much money. And in theory, it's, it's easier to lay off somebody who's you know new in their career. But Mitch is Mitch because he's really good at what he does. Like, let's give all the credit to Mitch. Like, he went from doing what we're doing, a podcast in Bean Mace's basement, to now he works for for KSL Sports, and it's because he's really really good. But I agree with you. Uh, his he has earned the right to have the most secure BYU media job in the market. He's that good at it, and he's apparently taught you in just one week how to keep me on track. So kudos to both of you. I don't know if it's so much that he taught me or that I just wasted a lot of time listening to a lot of different podcasts on various subjects and it's rubbed off on me a little bit. That could be it. You know, I realized as I was listening to you and Mitch and I was listening back to our episode a couple of weeks ago, we forgot a hellion of the week a couple of weeks ago. We did. We totally blew it. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if we Which just episode didn't have... It? Uh, I think it was two episodes ago. I think we had it on our agenda, but we didn't ever talk about it. Oh, no, no, no. Two weeks ago, we did not because what happened was we started ranting immediately about how Ohio State was going to sue the Big Ten or the state of Ohio was going to sue the Big whatever it was. Oh, I thought that I thought the Attorney General was our hellion. <laughs> I don't, I'm, maybe retroactively, that was it. I'm retroactively awarding that to him <laughs> because uh, that, the Big that's Ten is fair, back, baby. And so is the because they are back following their lead. No matter wherever the Big Ten goes, the Pac-12 will try to follow. I love it. Okay, so if that was our hellion of the week last week uh, or two weeks ago, then great. We still haven't missed an episode. This week we actually had a nomination uh, from a former Cougar, and I'm going to call him a Cougar legend because I like him. I don't know if people will agree with me, but Doug Henstrom is the man. Like the guy is a huge fan of Cougar Sports Insider, a huge fan of what we do here at Give Him Hell, Brigham. I want to make Doug the Hellion of the Week because I think he's the man, but he has submitted a nomination of the uh, – he, he nominated Carlos Valdez. A lot of people may have seen this on Twitter uh, throughout the week. Carlos Valdez lives in Roy, Utah. He and his family have a little TikTok account. And really what the highlight of their TikTok account is, is their pizza delivery guy. They go to the specific Papa John's in Roy, not because they like Papa John's, but because the delivery guy, Derlin Nui, is an 89-year-old man who's just the nicest person that you'll ever meet. And they request for Derlin specifically to deliver their pizzas. And they've kind of just become friends. Well, Carlos Valdez and his family decided 
at some time in the last couple of weeks that they were going to ask TikTok to where they now had more than 50,000 followers. They were going to ask their TikTok followers to help out Dewey, to help out Derlin Newey, excuse me. And the reason being Derlin's 89 years old and he's delivering pizzas. A man that old should not have to work that hard. They were able to raise more than $12,000 for Derlin. They delivered it to him via check, you know, went and knocked on his door, gave him a check. Derlin did not know what TikTok was. In the news clip that KSL did, it, it shows Carlos and his family explaining to Derlin how TikTok works, where this money came from. And you see Derlin break down at the end because he's just so thankful. The reason he's delivering pizzas is because he can't afford to live on Social Security alone. So 12000 bucks for a guy who lives that kind of a humble life, that's a huge amount of money. That's a big amount of money for anybody. That's an especially big amount of money for Derlin Newey. Uh, so huge shout out. We have no idea if they are BYU fans, if they'll ever listen to this show, but huge shout out to Carlos Valdez and his family, but also Hellion of the week to Derlin Newey for being an 89 year old man who is still willing to work to make ends meet. I think that is so spectacular. We talked about you and you know, you're driving through the South, you're meeting some rednecks. I come from a very redneck family. My grandma, she had to get up every morning. She'll tell you about this to her dying day that she would get up and she would go and milk the cows every morning. She did this with two torn ACLs and both knees. And she just continued about her life because there was work that needed to be done. And I just respect that generation. So I think Doug, he was actually nominating the Carlos Valdez family. I'm going to hijack his nomination and say Derlin Newey is actually the hellion of the week. We're going to give kudos to Carlos Valdez and his family. But Derlin Newey, 89 years old, delivering pizzas to continue to make ends meet. That is so phenomenal that I can't, I, I love it. I, I've watched the video now like six times and I tear up every time. I absolutely love this man. I agree wholeheartedly. And like you said, you know, it's, it sucks that he's that age and, you know, he still needs to be working. You know, ideally it was, you know, his kids or grandkids, whatever would be able to help take care of him a little bit. But, you know, that just that mentality of, I'm going to find a way to get it done and I, no job is beneath me. That's really what I feel like, you know, the younger generations or whatever is like really what is lacking in a lot of people. And so last weekend. Oh, and it's us. I mean, we right. just went over it, right? Like right. we can't, we can't work in radio. We don't pay enough. Right. And so like last weekend I went to, you know, I went to the Biltmore state. I was in Nashville for the weekend, went to the Biltmore state on Sunday, you know, and it's like, okay, at one point, Actually, you know, like the Vanderbilt who built the Biltmore estate, he was the poor brother because he only got five million of his dad's two hundred million dollar fortune in eighteen eighty or whatever when his dad died. And so he was the poor brother, but he built this house and at one point you know it's the biggest privately owned house in America, whatever. Standing in the library, I realized I was like, Okay, yes, this person for the time was insanely rich, right? Like it was like being in Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos's house. But I was like, my life isn't any worse off today. But then the more I thought about it, as I was standing in the 2,800 square foot library that was that had 10,000 books on display and another 12,000 in a different part of the house in the archives. I was thinking, 
you know what? It's like all of the books that are in this library, I have instantly on my phone. Like I would rather be poor today than the richest person in America like this Vanderbilt's dad was in 1880, right? You know, and so I was like, we are so spoiled in many ways and our quality of life is so good that it's, you know, we are complaining any inconvenience to us. And it really, it's, you know, I've had this conversation a lot with my wife lately too, as we talked about like the circumstances, you know, where like our parents grew up in and, you know, like my mom didn't grow up with a lot of money. Neither of her parents grew up with any very much money at all. My dad grew up in a fairly, you know, moderately affluent family, but was still from like ranching stock. And so like the, the family still had a cattle ranch that he worked on. And so when my parents were first married, they were very poor. And it's just like that poor mentality kind of, well, not poor mentality. The mentality itself is great, but the mentality of the poor of just, I'm going to find a way to make this work. And like, even mm-hmm. this week we were, as we were getting ready to move, I was like, I don't want to do the move out cleaning. Like I'm tired of this, whatever. When I had first, we first started playing moving, I got on Thumbtack and got some quotes for a move and you know, talked to a couple people and they all gave me a price. And then when I swung back around last week to finalize booking someone, you know, now three months later, six months or whatever into this pandemic, this family, the person that I ended up hiring, their price had been like cut in half. And so this Mm -hmm. lady came and was like, oh, we will clean your entire house, like top to bottom of your 2000 square foot or 1900 square foot, whatever house for $130. And I was like, okay, we ended up vacuuming and doing one of the bathrooms ourselves because it was like pretty much already done. And so then she tried to only charge us like $80 and they had moved here from Venezuela and mm. trying to, you know, build a life in America, live the American dream. COVID apparently has completely decimated the residential cleaning industry because people are concerned about having people come to their house for extended periods of time. So they've had to cut all of their prices in half to try to get more business. And, you know, we paid them with a bit of a tip. Oh, that was a beautiful throw of Jackson Dart. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that. He, you know, we paid them with a tip and get let them take all of our extra food because the, the people like the people that came and cleaned our house and people like Mr. Nui, like that is the backbone of America and what makes America the place that it is, is the people who will just do whatever they can to find their way to make it work. And that's, you know, that is... I want to find more people like that and I want to start a business and hire all of them and pay them what they deserve. Because if you put them in the right situation, those people will do amazing things wherever they're at just because of their mentality. No question about it. So thank you, Doug. Uh, what an awesome nomination for Hellion of the week. If you haven't seen the video yet, we'll be sure to include the link to the tweet uh, in the show notes so that you can check this out. I have no idea if Derlin Newey's ever going to hear this or not, but uh, what an incredible, incredible story. The Pac-12 is coming back, Garrett. After all of this, after all of the, uh, after all of this, the science know, the, changed because I was told well, you needed to listen to the science. I, I was too, and, and and I think people would tell you that. Well, there's daily testing now, so that's the difference, and maybe it is. I don't know. Like I, I think that what, I think that what we're seeing being proven out across college football that has been playing, is that this virus is going to happen, right? Like you're going to contract the virus, you know, no matter how serious, no matter how serious. 
unfortunately, negligence can lead to a faster spread. Negligence can lead to maybe uh, uh, an increase in cases that didn't have to be there. But this virus is going to do what the virus is going to do regardless. So no, the science didn't change. And even daily testing, you know, it, that's a huge, there's no question. Like there is a, that is a huge monument for the, for the Pac-12 that I think a lot of these other schools can get to. Um, you know, BYU has been doing the saliva tests for, for a couple of months. I think they, they do it three or four times a week right now, but it's that saliva rapid type test that there's no reason they can't just kick that up and do it more frequently. So I don't think it's this world-renowned discovery that the Pac-12 has made. Like, I think that it's something that all of the schools across the country have been trying to get to. But kudos to the Pac-12. They made it. But what I, what I don't understand is that, you know, we sat here, I, I guess, what, six weeks ago now, Garrett? And we talked on this show about myocarditis and how that was absolutely not the reason that anything was being shut down. And then we talked a couple of weeks later about how that report that initially came out that I sat and watched and read all these journalists that told me that anybody who has seen this report will come to the same conclusion that the PAC 12 did. I watched that report get torn to shreds. And now tonight I'm watching officially earlier last week, we watched the big 10. Now we're watching the PAC 12. We're getting ready to watch the mountain West. All of the people that talked about myocarditis as if it was going to end the world and talked about the schools who were playing as if they were ignoring the ominous signs of the end of the world. Now they're playing. And I didn't hear a single word about my myocarditis in the last two weeks. It went from 65% of the people in the big 10 who had had the, had COVID-19 now had heart problems. It's going to be the end of the world to we're not even talking about it as these schools come back to play. And that is the weirdest thing in my mind about the Pac-12 coming back. It's the weirdest thing, but also it is the most expected 2020 thing to me. You know, that oh, is, yeah. that's how everything, that's how news cycles work these days now. It's like, it's going around, like jumping from story to story. And once you move on, no, you don't think about it. It's not important anymore. Like it's like it never existed in the first place. Once you move on and go to the next, <clears throat> the next topic in the timeline and it's you know yeah first it was my cardiologist now it's case counts it'll be interesting to see what happens because some schools are saying oh we're going to shut down if it's like okay if you're worried about case counts at college students you know where they're young and healthy and the least at risk population of you know of any group of demographic of any population and you're going to say let's send them home and close campus. So that way, instead of having all of the health, the people who would be healthy in one spot, you're going to take all these sick people and send them home to be near their parents and grandparents. Like that's not a winning idea right there. Like if you were going to do that, you should have never brought them back in the first place. That was dumb. Right. Right. That's not, I don't, for the academics who are supposed to be very smart and the smarter than the rest of us, they didn't think that one through all the way. But I did one study, we see one study that they've collected from a bunch of different campuses. And I don't know how thorough it was of going across like every campus in America, but it was, I saw one MD who collected, you know, the testing reports because pretty much every college is publishing their counts. And it was like from 250 something different colleges in the United States, there are collectively 45,000 cases and two hospitalizations stemming from that. So 
that is a flattened curve, right? That was the, the goal at the beginning, six months ago was 15 days to flatten the curve or whatever. It's flat. So now whether, what we go, where we go from here, and obviously the news came out this week that there won't be fans either this Saturday or next Friday in Provo as a result of that. I don't, you know, that's out of our control, but I don't think, I don't think playing football and we've talked about this as much as any more inherent, like playing football is not inherently more risky than being in class on campus, you know, for the students. Like it's not like playing football is not a danger in exposing them any more than it would be going. Cause you could say, okay, Oh, well, they're going to be next to somebody and you know, they're going to be next to somebody on the field that they wouldn't otherwise be. And it can jump from school to school. It doesn't matter. Every school in the country already has some student who has it. It's already spreading through their population. Like it's not, well, it's, it's so this, far, isn't pand- or, this isn't that pandemic game where you're trying to get to Greenland, which is always the right. hardest one to get to. Like right. it's already there. So it's just by going to class, they're going to be, or going out, they're going to be exposed to it. So it's I, not. I look, at, I look at high school football in the state of Utah and I saw they have played, so they're they're playing, and I don't think people realize this, but high school, uh, high school football in Utah, they're still playing their sophomore and JV games. It's not just the varsity games that are being played. So they have played something like eleven hundred football games across the state of Utah so far. And from what I've read, and I don't know how they would be able to validate this because of exactly what you described, but from what I've read, they cannot tie a positive case on Lone Peak being transferred to a positive case now at corner Canyon. And because they played football, suddenly there's an outbreak at corner Canyon. They can't do that. Right. Like so far there has not been any spread that they can tie back to the game of football. That was, that that was where the con the virus was contracted. And I think that that would remain true across college sports. Right. And that's, you know, it definitely. And so it's, you know, interesting when you talk about like, you know, in, things like with the big 10 coming back now, it's like, okay, in Ohio, Cincinnati was playing, the Bengals were playing, the Browns were playing high school football was playing, but Ohio state was not playing because of whatever the issue is. But every other school in the state, besides the poor Mac schools, which I legitimately think this may be the last year that the Mac is an FBS conference. If well, and I think it's important. We've talked about it. The Mac could not play because they could not afford it. Right. They could not afford the testing. They couldn't afford to play almost on a regular year without COVID. Right. And now when you threw in those additional expenses, the Mac couldn't afford it. That's why the Mac wasn't playing. Right. Regardless of what they did. And they openly said, we can't make this safe. We don't feel that we can make this safe for our players. But so when you talk about that and looking at those things, it's like, it doesn't change magically, you know, like you said, going from high school to college. And it's, you know, we, it's kind of this ironic thing that I've noticed is people are especially like with masks, for example, you know, you go to a grocery store, you see videos on like TikTok or whatever of like someone refusing to wear a mask in a store and everyone freaking out about it, you know, whatever, like obviously like wearing a mask helps may not necessarily help decrease the spread a ton, but even it has been shown that it can't, like it does reduce the risk of spread. But then also if you do get it, you get, you are more likely to be asymptomatic if you got it from someone who is wearing a mask because you are, you know, instead of getting a couple sparks on you and then you catch it that way, it's like you're not gauss, doused in gasoline and then lit on fire, right? Like it's this, it's a small fire that's easy for your body to put out whatever the viral load. So in 
but people do that in public. But then I see the same people who are very adamant about wearing a mask everywhere you go, posting pictures like with their friends or like, Oh, well, we're just having a small get together, whatever. And so they are thinking like, you know, because it's within, you know, semi bubble that it's, you know, that's where like I'm safe and I don't need to wear the mask, but that's the ironic thing about it. And the football kind of underscores us that it's the, you know, walking down the aisle of the Walmart or the Smith's or the Harmon's to go grab a jar of salsa and someone walks by you, you're not going to get COVID in that half second thing. Like same thing as like in a football game. It's the, constant like you're in the same room as someone it's the constant extended exposure with someone and that's why when they do the contact tracing and everything it's our was it 15 minutes of continuous exposure with somebody who can be linked to it and that 15 minutes of continuous exposure does not apply to the other team on a football game and it only applies if you are on a plane or on a bus with the windows rolled up with your own team yeah I, I, that's exactly right and so I don't, you know, evolve into a discussion about. I think we just lost a bit there. My the internet lagged a bit, so I got oh. yeah, I got cut off for a minute. So you there, were what gone. Well, yeah. well, hopefully, okay. I hope we're back. I I I just want to be careful that we don't end up into a situation where we're you know we're we're re are allowing ourselves in this podcast to devolve into everything that was good or bad about the, about the virus. Um, but specifically to the PAC 12, nothing's changed, right? In my mind, nothing has changed other than yes. Now there is quicker access to testing, but that's just in my mind, that was something that we all knew was coming. Like there were, there, that was, that was everywhere. And, 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 and how long has the, how long has the argument been made? Like you and I have looked at websites and, and different statistics that there have been uh, rapid tests available that were not FDA approved yet, but rapid tests that were pending FDA approval available for months. And that they said that one test would give you a 90 92% accurate result. And then if you take two tests, you were 99% accurate. Like that's been around for a while. So, other than that, which we all knew was coming for every school in the very near future, nothing's changed since the Pac-12 decided to shut everything down. So that's weird. I, I think it's a little bit hypocritical. They said today, you know, the, the Oregon athletic director came out and he said, well, we're not coming back because of money. We're still going to lose a ton of money. Uh, yeah, but now you're going to lose a little bit less. Like, that's why everybody's coming back. Like, there's no shame yeah. in that. We all know. Losing $5 million is better than, you know, what was Utah projecting, a 60, $50, 60000000 million loss? Right. Well, I mean, like we're talking a lot of money. So even if, yeah, okay, instead of losing 65 million bucks, you lose 50 million, you save $15 million. I promise you that if you were going to make $65 million and then you made 80, you would be like pounding your chest because of that additional 15 million bucks. So like, there's no shame in admitting it. Like, that's why we're all going to work during a pandemic because we're all doing it because of money. So that is in no way wrong to admit but found it a little bit weird that they didn't admit that the good thing they're coming back and look like as much as BYU fans like to hate Utah and we all like to hate the Pac-12 and all that good stuff it's good for football at large that they're playing and that, that's exciting so they're going to start November 6th I think maybe this is the weirdest part they're starting November 6th they're going to play seven games in seven weeks so they went from not playing at all too too worried to play, too scary. We can't control this virus, blah, 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 blah. So now they're going to play seven games in seven weeks, and they built in zero buffers. 
Like we've seen across the like schools like Notre Dame are canceling games. Houston's like had four season openers canceled. We might be right. the first game. Right. We really could be their season opener on October what twelfth, and uh, Notre Dame. Like I, maybe Oregon, maybe USC, but I would be willing to bet that Notre Dame has more resources than just about everywhere else. Notre Dame. I heard today that they are quarantining their students in like this, the nicest hotels that are in South Bend. They are paying for three meals a day to be delivered to those students in those hotels. It's almost like appealing to be quarantined at Notre Dame because they're doing such a good well, job. When they charge you like $50,000 a year for some semester, they better give you that crap. <laughs> right. So what else is they're, it going? they're treating their sick people like they are royalty. They have resources and they just postpone their game. So I find it a little interesting. I'm anxious to see how it plays out that the Pac-12 didn't build in the same kind of buffers that everybody else did. Because they made their decision well too late. They didn't give they themselves did. time to. That could bode well for BYU, honestly. Like maybe, you know, if a game gets canceled, Utah cancels their game or whatever against Arizona State for whatever reason. Is it possible that the Pac-12 says, look, you're already only playing seven games. We would hate for you to only play six. So let's go ahead and see if you can find a game. And BYU is swimming with openings in November and December. Possible. We've heard some talk that there's already communication and conversations going between Boise State and BYU and Utah State and BYU to do something like that if and when the Mountain West comes back. It's conceivable to think that the same thing comes back for for BYU with the Pac-12. UMass, this is maybe the most interesting part. UMass, not at all related to the Pac-12 or the Mountain West, they announced that they're coming back and they're planning on playing a seven or eight game schedule. And from what I've read and from what I've heard as I've talked to a few other people. How are they going to find eight games? They're not going to schedule any games. They're going to play eight games and they're going to remain unscheduled. And they have confidence that they think that they can fill an eight-game slate by being the filler for the game that gets canceled. And based on how I mean, many games the are Army AD was looking for something. So as long right. as – and I don't think you – know, obviously the other side of that was an AD not willing to step out there. And, you know, similar we saw it with, like, the SMU – the bow for the cast iron skillet getting canceled with SMU-TCU. And Tom Homo was like, you know, we're going to get a bye week. The travel doesn't work, whatever. But it's like, you know – if you're willing to go get your pay games and your UMass and you do not care and you're willing to do eight g- games on the road to make money, like go do it. And I think that the games are going to be there, right? Like I, I, oh, I think, I think we, so. I, I think we would not be surprised if we, I thought we were done with UMass for good and never had to see that program ever again, but they're probably going to end up in Provo this November. Just end up in Provo. Like, let's not go there. And even if the game's in Foxborough, let's end up in Provo. I, 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 that's that's my beef with UMass is going out and playing at UMass. But I think it's interesting that UMass, that that is their strategy. And, and obviously things can change. If they can get a guaranteed game, I'm sure they will. But that's what I have read is that that's their intention. They think that they can fill that many games by being a filler. And so it's interesting. It's interesting that now BYU has all these openings in November, December. They have said all along that if they can play 12 games, they will. They want to play as many as they can. So a lot of interesting possibilities this year that we will never see again. And, man, how would it suck to be a coach as you are, okay, uh, we have a bye week next week, guys. Oh, wait, now we have to prep for Washington State. So get up for everybody. We're going to figure this out. That would be nuts. 
the good news for those coaches that are in this weird time is that they're already bowl eligible. The NCAA passed that today. Because bowl season is going to be everyone, and bowl season will start three weeks before the regular season finishes. It's so strange. Bowl season is going to just be purely, if you have enough players and you would like to come to our bowl game, we're ready. John Henry Daly, by the way, he's really good. He's really, really good. Uh, Lone Peak just took the lead after Corner Canning gave it up. And John Henry Daly, that's all we got to say. Like, the kid is really, really good. If you yes. watch this play, so he's, he's John Henry Daly gets through the line, gets to Jackson Dart, pulls him down for a strip sack, and he recovers the fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. John Henry Daly is really good. That corner canyon offensive line is no joke. And Jackson Dart is an athletic quarterback who can escape pressure from just about anywhere. And uh, John Henry Daly, man, he just made everybody look foolish. And there's a good chance that we see him make people, other people look foolish at the next level when he's playing in Provo because it's very likely that he's going to join his brother and it will be a magnificent duo. It will be. And it will be, it will be great for BYU fans to feel the satisfaction of beating Stanford on the recruiting trail. That doesn't happen, not once, but twice this year, assuming Raider DeMooney sticks with BYU and signs. Uh, they don't, BYU doesn't beat Stanford very often anymore. To beat them for John Henry Daly and for Raider DeMooney would feel nice for BYU fans if that happens. And really what it feels like Stanford has been a huge thorn in our side the last decade or so. Well, we need to get Lance Anderson out of there. Like, go that's exactly get, what it is. Go get a head coaching job, or you know, something. Just get out of get out of Palo Alto. Yep, one hundred percent. That's exactly what it is. Hey, uh, we're going to continue to talk about COVID. It feels like we've talked about COVID a lot on this show, but guys, it's twenty twenty, and I don't know if you've turned on the news or paid attention to anything on the internet. COVID is everywhere, so don't get mad at us for continuing to talk about COVID. Uh, Tristan Hodge had COVID kind of a sad story, kind of a scary situation. Marty Hodge took to Twitter. I'm assuming most BYU fans have seen this, but Marty Hodge, Tristan's dad, uh, he took to Twitter and first let's talk about Marty. What a stud. Marty Hodge is an absolute stud. So he, he took to Twitter and confirmed that Tristan was one of the players on BYU's team that tested positive for the virus uh, in the last couple of weeks, he went through his quarantine, was feeling okay, and according to Marty, had you know mostly minor symptoms. He didn't delve into what those symptoms are, but when I hear minor symptoms, he had a cold. Maybe he had you know a little shortness of breath, but it was it was nothing that he was worried about, and he was so unworried about it that he went back onto the practice field earlier this week after he had finished his 10-14 day quarantine. Went back onto the practice field, practiced once. That home or that night, he went home, started having some serious symptoms. I can only assume that means coughing and shortness of breath. He went, met with the team doctors, and they decided to test him for some other stuff. Turns out now he has pneumonia. According to Marty, fortunately and, and very fortunately, he doesn't have any issues with his heart or anything like that at this point, he being Tristan. But Tristan was diagnosed with pneumonia, and he's going to miss a few more weeks at least as he goes through that battle. Um, 
COVID can be very serious. Like, I don't want to be mistaken that, you know, because we talk about the hypocrisy of, of, you know, decision makers and we talk about the Pac-12 and we talk about how football isn't proving to, you know, lead to more spread or whatever, it can still be very serious, even for the most fit among us. That was the one thing that was the most interesting to me. Like Tristan Hodge, yes, he's an offensive lineman. And people, I think, are going to have a tendency to hear, well, yeah, he's a big dude. He's going to be higher risk. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But Tristan Hodge, I don't know if you've seen him. The dude looks like Shredder. Like, he doesn't look like an offensive lineman. He looks like a Ninja Turtle. Like He's just this big man. He's strong muscles and, and you listen to marty talk about it he does all the health right he 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 eats right he's very healthy he lives by himself he follows all the protocols and he still got the virus and now the virus has led to pneumonia kind of a scary situation so we're, we're hoping the best for tristan hodge first and foremost we're hoping the best for marty and his family you know second uh, but there are some storylines about Tristan Hodge being COVID positive that are going to impact the game that we see on Saturday. And I think that is something that we try to branch off of our COVID very focused show and talk about what that means uh, on the field on Saturday. You have the opportunity for another a great smooth transition and you purposely – just made it all choppy. You could have just rolled that straight into how that was going to affect the game on Saturday. Yeah. What was going to happen with the rushing game? Who's going to step in for Tristan Hodge? I know. But I now we have. will talk about those things. Well, no. I thought about it. Well, no, no, no. You brought up the transition and I thought about it. I actually thought to myself, Hey, I can make this transition. And I feel like the reason that I struggle so much with it is we're on a zoom meeting. Like I struggle knowing when you're ready to talk, when I'm ready to be done, because I'll rant forever. I could talk forever. And so I feel like, I don't know, it feels like we're mission companions. And, you know, and you had those companions that you taught really well with. I don't know if you even taught. Like Is you were in Russia. inventory going to be the title of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It, it probably should be. But I don't know how often. Did you go to Russia or did you go to Ukraine? I can't remember. Ukraine, but I spent six months in a territory that is now currently occupied by Russia. So okay, so you were you were Ukraine Russian, and really, there's a lot of blurred lines there. Anyways, um, I don't know if you even really taught lessons because I, don't, I like I assume missionary work is incredibly hard. Up there. I had there's one transfer when we only had two lessons the entire transfer. <laughs> that was that was a tough one. Oof. Okay. Well, I went to Madagascar. And uh, it was a little different. Um, we would track, and if I had to knock on two doors without getting in, it was a really bad day. So our missions were very different. So maybe this, uh, this analogy isn't going to resonate as much with, with, with you as it does with me. But I remember having companions that I taught really well with, that the flows, man, like it was just right there. It was great. And you never had to say anything. But then you'd get those other companions where it was like, you're both good teachers. You're both good at the language, but you kind of have to nudge each other every once in a while, or maybe, you know, talk in English for a minute because we were confused or not on the same page. And even after 20 weeks or however long we've been doing this, I sort of feel like we're nudging each other. And really it's me. I'm nudging you. You're fine. You do a great job. I have not adjusted. And I don't know what my problem is. You just got to let it go. When that thought crossed your mind, 
hey, I can find a way to zigzag my way over to top the next topic on the list or one halfway down the list or at the very bottom of the list, just jump to it. You just kind of, you know, got to go with the flow. Don't follow the flip chart. Just get go jump your basic principles and you're good to go. That's the problem, man. I'm still, I'm still teaching on the flip chart. Are you even, That's what it is. You weren't even old enough to have a flip chart. You're not. No, not, I was not. Yeah, because you're only like two years older than me. Right. I, I was not old enough. And actually, funny story, preach my gospel. I had a French mission president and he, he, French, uh, yeah, French was his first language and he spoke very broken English. Like the guy tried his hardest and he, he was an incredible man, but there was a very clear language gap between me and him. And I remember my very first meeting. So I had been in Madagascar for like three hours and I'm meeting with the mission president. And he says to me, whose gospel are we preaching? Uh, Christ's gospel. No. Oh, man. Uh, well, the gospel of God. No. <laughs> well, if it's not Christ's and it's not God's, then I don't know what I'm doing here. And he's like, and he looks at me, he's like, Elder, what is the book called? book of mormon no (laughs) i i don't know what's going on here and he looks at me he's like preach my gospel we're preaching my gospel you had to explain to him that he misunderstood (laughs) and so i kind of looked at him i was like like we're preaching your gospel no my gospel you mean my like christ is speaking yes Oh, okay. Well, we were, that doesn't translate here, fella. Like there, there was a, you really had to explain that to me. Uh, so that's just a, a funny mission story for you that I was there preaching somebody else's gospel. Apparently <laughs> that reminds me one time. So my mission president was like insanely smart. Like he, his dad and uncle were engineers on the Manhattan project. And then he himself became a rocket scientist and worked for the government doing research and stuff at, you know, with rockets and things. So he served in Finland on his mission and then he came out and he spoke Russian very well, but he would still, he would prepare his talks and he would give his talks in English because he read very slowly. Cause he like, he struggled with perfectionism and he couldn't let himself make a mistake, but he knew more words than like anybody else, like any missionary, like he knew he had the biggest vocabulary. And I remember like, saying one time I was translating for him like in, I was in the branch presidency and he like came and was speaking and I was translating for him and I said something and he paused like he was like you said that wrong to me. <laughs> and I had to correct myself because he knew whatever like he was just saying like he didn't have any written words but he knew that I said the wrong word I was like well what did you mean to say he's like this and I was like oh okay so then he like gave me the right word and I like conjugated it and like off we went, whatever, but I had phrased something differently than he wanted to intend, but he understood the like nuance and connotation of what he wanted to say, but he just wouldn't speak in Russian himself because he was like, I go too slow. It's hard for people to follow because like, I'm too much of a perfectionist that I can't speak without letting like, and let myself make a mistake. So I was, I learned that I am very dumb and there are people much smarter than me but also the smartest people I know are probably very smart because they know what their weaknesses are. And just obviously like, you know, sometimes you got to embrace your weakness and lean into it, whatever. But sometimes, you know, you got to pick and choose your battle of I'm not going to go there, even though I could, because it's not, it's not my thing. 
Well, maybe that's what I need to do. Transitions aren't my thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay away. Maybe we set this rule that as a, what do we call ourselves? A partnership here. I will never transition. So if you want to move from subject to subject, you have to do it. You might have to interrupt me. Maybe you have to flag me down. I don't know what you have to do, but I, it's my weakness. And we've tried for the last, however many weeks to address this. And I, can't do it so it's up to you you know it's kind of like when i was a greenie and i don't know if you do this in university when you were grading still struggling with things that it was when we went in to teach my trainer was like you will start every topic and just go till you run out of things to say and i will cover whatever pieces you left out and so when you stop talking i will know that you have nothing more like you do not understand anymore you can't keep up anymore you've exhausted your knowledge of explaining that point in the lesson and then I'll pick up the rest. And then when I stop talking, it's time to go to the next point. (laughs) So it actually, in a way, it was like, that was the easiest part of like the transitions on the mission. Cause it was like, I just said everything I knew how to say. I got my five, 10 word my 10, five word sentences out the way on each thing. And then, you know, then I was on my way, waiting till the next thing. And when there was an awkward pause, I said, Oh, it's my turn again. And so it was pretty, it was pretty easy I, to do. I think but, that'll work. The only downside is that I could talk for a while about a lot of these things, but I, I like where your head's at. Um, I am going to have, here's another choppy transition. Now that we've talked about it, I, I have to bring it up every time. So Tristan Hodge has COVID. Uh, we can make some assumptions that other people have COVID that were, you know, presumably around him or that maybe they don't have COVID. I don't know, but at least the contact tracing Kalani's talked about this in his pressers, the contact tracing is harder to manage than the positive tests because they go through whatever the rules are. I think you said 15 minutes of continued exposure. I don't know if that's the same criteria that, uh, that, BYU has to deal with so whatever it is, whatever their criteria is, if they are, are positive, I don't know, if they are determined to have been exposed by somebody who tested positive, they actually have to go into isolation and I think the full-fledged quarantine longer than the person who had the positive test. Right, because your symptoms, you could be pre-symptomatic and your symptoms, like you may have it and be spreading it, but you don't know or your symptoms could be, you know, they could pop up seven days from now. And then, you know, there's a big, there's a bigger window because of less certainty. So it's almost, it is better. If, if you know you are going to have an asymptomatic or very mild case, it is better to just get it over with than to be contact traced because, you know, of the way the rules are, because it's, you don't know what you don't know. And so if they know that you've had it and you've recovered, you can go back to play but if they're unsure and there's still a small chance that you could have it pop up or be contagious or whatever, then, you know, you can't go do that. So I don't know. I, maybe with the rapid testing coming out and they can move to some daily things that will kind of change things a bit. But, you know, that's what the big thing you're seeing with these game cancellations is it's, you know, one player gets it and then it's taking out an entire position group, which affects everyone except Nebraska because of Nebraska carries like 180 guys on the roster because of their walk-on program. They really do. And I don't know how they're able to do it. Like they can still field like a JV team. It's very strange. I think it's awesome, but it's strange. We need to do that. Just get more people. There's Frankly, no, I think there everybody is no should do it. Yeah. 
I think everybody should. Like, I think, well, so there is a roster limit for camp, right? Like you can have the BYU has traditionally carried like 125 is give or take been the number that BYU has set and what they committed to. And, you know, people walk-ons get treated very well at BYU comparatively to other schools. So you get, you know, you have your 85 scholarship players and then up until it was last year or the year before that they bumped it up from 20 to 25 walk-ons in camp. I can't um, remember, but it was it recently. Last year, it used to, you have 105 in camp and now they just bumped it up to 110 and um, up the mountain West just made their official announcement, eight game schedule starting October 24th. So they, ah, are, beating, they are beating the PAC 12 and the big 10 to be back and giving themselves a buffer. Um, so they, um, so you have the 105, now you have 110, but then either within the, the week of your first game or the week school starts, whichever is sooner for your program, you can add as many walk-ons as you want from that point on. And so that's how Nebraska has, like if you look at their roster, they legitimately carry like 165 guys because there is no official NCAA limit. There's only how many guys can you have practicing outside like in fall camp before the semester starts. But so we can, we can make some assumptions, you know, given everything that we just talked about with uh, the walk-on thing is weird, but before, like Nebraska is weird. I wish everybody was more weird so that that wasn't weird, but contact tracing, it sucks, right? And it, it's wiping out position groups and we can go ahead and we can make some assumptions here. Tristan Hodge tested positive. We know that, right? That's not, sources that's not anything like that we know that he tested positive that means there's probably additional offensive linemen that are either positive or in isolation because of contact tracing. well i mean they have team meetings in a room like if you've had a team meeting then you're in constant contact for unless you're i don't know how far you have to be apart before it's correct i mean like yep. they need to stop having team meetings buy all the coaches a megaphone or a walkie-talkie or something and go have your team meetings outside just go to the MTC, man, and just, like, utilize one of the, like, uh, I'm going to call it an auditorium because I don't remember what we called it in the MTC, but, like, where your Tuesday devotionals were. Let's utilize one of those and just put the 25 offensive linemen there, and he, everybody gets their own quadrant of the thing. No, just utilize that and make a friggin' bubble. You don't leave the MTC except for they're all in online classes anyway because they want to minimize the – right. none of them are taking, like, any in-person classes. They're avoiding all of that because they don't yeah. want this to happen. So whatever they're doing on the weekends, don't be stupid because you know what's going to happen if you get exposed to it. Don't go put to the party if that's what you're doing on the weekend whatever but you know put them in the mtc where they literally have a gate like you could lock the gate and just prevent anybody from even escaping right there's a cafeteria there you can feed all of them there are plenty of bedrooms you could get there's enough room in the mtc to give each of them like not even their own room their own floor their own floor right they could and just go pull in a bus, they get on the bus, they go to the airport, hop on their chartered flight, come back, come home, go back to the MTC. They get on a bus and get driven over to Provo High School for the practice field, and that's it. If you want to have more teams doing it, host teams. There's enough room. You could make a college football bubble with six teams (laughs) inside the MTC just and play games at both the Provo High Stadium and Lavelle (laughs) Edwards Stadium. Yeah, I love it. And, And use the IPF if you have to. Just don't punt high. But yeah. they really could uh, use the MTC 
and just treat it like they treat missionaries. We've talked about missions a lot on this episode, but like, think about it. All of you guys who have served a mission, is that not exactly what it was? You're dropped off. You're quarantined for either three weeks or nine weeks or 12 weeks or whatever it is now. I think it's changed now. But you're quarantined for a period of time. And then you are picked up on a bus and you are taken to the airport. If you get to leave, it's because you got hurt and you need to go to a doctor's appointment where you are bussed to that doctor's appointment. Or you're permitted to walk across the street to the temple. But other than that, you're stuck, right? So just treat the football players like we treat missionaries. Seems reasonable enough. Stop going to parties aptly named young and dumb. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Young and dumb. Um, So back to Tristan Hodge, he's positive, right? So we can make some assumptions from what I have heard. This is sources. I've heard Kiefer Longson. Is it sources or hashtag sources? Like how serious are these? Um, I'm going to say, that these are this is more sources say than it is hashtag sources okay because hashtag sources is usually a little more facetious right it's right right this is more this is more serious than that so this is sources have told me and it's not quite sources have indicated to me i'm not ready to be that professional with it but sources have told me Kiefer longson uh, I don't know if it's because he's, he's tested positive or because it's you know uh, contact tracing. I don't know, but he it, he will be out for this game against Troy. That makes sense. Tristan Hodge is also a guard. I think they're listed at right and left guard on the depth chart, but you've got to imagine that those guards are practicing together a lot. Uh, from what I have heard, as far as the the starting offensive line, most of them are okay. Brady Christensen, James Empey, Chandon Herring, all married they're going to be fine. You know, they, they live separately from everybody else. From what I've heard, they're okay. So that's good. Um, that's all that I've heard on the offensive line. We can make some assumptions that there's probably more. We may get into a scenario that we're looking at, you know, Moe Onutoa or Connor Pay getting playing time on Saturday night because of contact tracing efforts. But so far, what we know is we know Tristan Hodge had the virus and I have heard that Keeper Longson will also be out this weekend. I have heard that Isaiah Kafusi will also be out this weekend. I don't know if that's a positive test. I don't know if that's contact tracing. I don't know why for sure, but I have heard that he will be out this weekend. So could there be additional linebackers? Could be, but I have not heard any names. Again, we can make some assumptions, but that's all that they are. We could make some assumptions that additional linebackers are out. The I'm more so worried about having multiple other linebackers out. Have we heard anything about Pepe Tommy Vasa? See, because he got a little banged up in the Navy game. So yeah, Kalani. Kalani talked about that that he should be fine. Okay, you know, especially because Troy wants. You know, they're going to throw the ball a lot. They're going to try to. That's you know how they're going to try to use the athletes that they have outside, you know, like um, Khalil, Khalil McLean is a good athlete. They have bodies outside that can play. They're going to try to create some mismatches there. And so the linebackers are really where the game is going to be made feel like on the defense Um, in the secondary, you know, we mentioned Chris Wilcox is back running with the ones likely to see him this week. 
did we mention that? I don't know if we mentioned that. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe well, maybe we, you guys talked about it last week. But. We didn't talk about it last week. You mentioned it on the board earlier this week. Ah, yes. Um, yeah. He is so back. He is back. So it's the defense is going to be fine. It really comes down to the linebackers and really, you know, what the bulk of that Troy offense and what they want to do with their passing game is those mid-range crossing routes going, you know, over the middle and where that would be the linebacker zone. Isaiah Kafusi is generally like he's been one of the better linebackers in coverage, but we have a lot of linebackers that are good in coverage. That was, you know, the problem with our linebackers last season was we had 8 million guys who could get an interception and cover somebody, but they couldn't stop the run to save their life and play downhill. So against Troy, that's not an issue. Like Tristan Hodge, if we lose one lineman, if we saw four guys, I'm not worried about the other four not being able to get a push against Troy, especially, you know, with how they looked against Navy and what they were doing and how much they, you know, were wanting to get after it. And it's so, yeah, if we may, especially if Keanu Sialabanga is available, you know, that's a guy who now is heading into his junior season, retro junior season with starting experience. If that's our five guys and the only change is we swap out Hodge for Sialapanga, I'm not worried about the performance on the offensive line. You know, if it's, you know, another guy goes down and we got a couple walk-ons going on, then that game gets more iffy. And that's where betting this season is scary as hell because you have no idea what's going to show up and who is going to come out. And you got, you know, like Georgia Southern or whatever that played with 33 guys missing. Oh yeah. I actually have no idea what's going to happen. I kind of wish that we just played the game with like 40 guys missing because then they'd be good for the rest of the season. That's true. That's a very good point. Um, yeah, I would be a little bit worried about uh, – not worried about getting a push, but Troy's got some dudes. Like, the Sun Belt has some dudes on their roster. Not even sneaky athletic. Every time I watch a Sun Belt or CUSA game, and I watched many CUSA games last year, right, because I had season tickets to a CUSA team, conference right. say, Mike, that dude is an NFL – legitimately NFL talent receiver. How is this his only offer? And it's on every single team. Has guys like Everyone. that. So yeah. it's not like there's one or two diamonds in the rough. It's these athletes are out there. We're just not getting them. Right. Well, well and a lot of give us a, probably a lot of what they do for the last few years, and it's worked out well. Like you know, that's exactly what like the yeah. like the Chris Wilcoxes, the Isaiah Ferrans, yeah. like those guys didn't have many other offers. We said you're a good athlete with a frame. We can do something with you. Let's start doing that a receiver. Well, and that's exactly what. Uh, Troy has done uh, a guy on defense that is an absolute stud uh, preseason All-American Carlton Marshall. He's a linebacker that really he's, he's from, I think he's from Birmingham. I can't remember if he's in Birmingham or mobile, but right there in Alabama somewhere. And uh, he should be playing at Auburn or Alabama. Like he has that kind of talent, but he's five, eight. Uh, he met with Gus Malzahn when he was in high school and Gus told him, I think you're good enough to be here but I can't offer a 5'8 linebacker. He ended up at Troy, and he is an absolute stud. It's kind of the same approach that, like, Boise State did in the early part of their, like, uprising, was that Boise State took all of the really, really good football players who didn't have the really, really good size or speed or athleticism, right? They went and got the giant offensive lineman that was maybe too slow for the Pac-12. They went and got the stud running back who was only 5'6". And that's kind of what Troy has done. And so on their defensive line, they've got Will Cholo who can play. Like he can really, really play. 
Um, he's a little bit like their Kairos Tonga, that things kind of focus around him. And as he goes, the rest of that defensive line will go. And so in my mind, James Empey is maybe the most important offensive lineman this week. Um, I think BYU could withstand to play a game without Brady Christensen or Chandon Herring on the tackles. I don't know how BYU could recover. I think it would, well, I, I think it would be a very big loss if Empey were to go because of a guy like Will Cholo on Troy's offensive line, the inside of Troy's defensive line, rather. Um, that would be an impact. So uh, in terms of players that we aren't expecting to see, those are the, those are the names that we've heard. Uh, there could be more offensive linemen. For all we know, you know, there could be a breakout in the secondary. Like, we really don't know. And, and you're right, Garrett. That's what makes um, that's what makes betting this year so difficult because we really have no idea who's going to be there on a weekly basis. But that's what we've heard so far. The last, um, the last note really on – Did you know that Will Cholo is Alvin Kamara's cousin? I did not. And he is also a computer science major. So he's going to play smart. Somebody, somebody's on Troy's website right now. I am, but yes. he also underscores similar to Carlton Marshall. It's like Will Cholo. He's listed at six foot two ninety. As oh yeah, like tackle. he's just an undersized defensive lineman, but he's really good. It's like go get more T. John Caromas. That's really what it yeah. boils down to. Yep. If you That's want a really the BYU comparison it. of this dude can play. He's obviously good. He played at a high level. You know, T. John won multiple state titles at the in Texas was all state in Texas, but because he was a five eleven center, that doesn't get you very far. At Allen, Texas, that is the home of the biggest high school football stadium that we've ever seen. But like it, it went crazy. Like it was one of those memes that was uh that went all over social media of like this is how much football means in Texas. And they spent like, I don't know, like six million dollars on this high school football stadium. From what I had heard, and I uh this was a couple of years ago they spent all this money on this high school football stadium and it had after like three years was starting to like crack and there were like foundational issues. So when I think of T John Caroma, uh, I first think of his biceps and then I think of Allen high school stadium. So you mentioned that. So naturally here we are talking about Allen high school stadium that is kind of falling apart. Uh, the other absence, one more that I want to note before we move on, uh, Chaz Ayu. I think that rumors are starting to kind of surface. We've talked about it on the board a couple of days ago. Sounds like there's an injury. Sounds like it's a back injury. Sounds like he's going to miss at least this week, potentially more. Uh, obviously, unless it's a season-ending injury, BYU doesn't confirm anything. So we'll have to kind of find out, I guess, really – uh, we'll find out that he's not playing before the game, and then we'll hear from Kalani after the game to kind of get an idea of how serious it is. But that's what I'm hearing so far is that there's a back injury for Chaz. We just can't catch a break, or maybe we catch too many breaks, and that's why guys are injured. But Well, if there's one thing I know, it's that as soon as somebody gets injured, we fire the strength and conditioning staff. So. And the back injury, which was likely sustained in practice, is obviously that's a strength and conditioning issue. I don't know how we don't have just a bevy of strength and conditioning coaches to choose from after all of the strength and conditioning coaches who should have been fired after this weekend in the NFL where everybody got hurt. 
We should including have including like, the 49ers MRI truck after. <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> I, I did. I did see that. That uh, they Joey Bosa could not get his Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, one of the Bosas that plays in San Francisco, could not get his MRI done because the MRI truck broke. That's a sad state of affairs when that happens. 2020, man. It's getting everybody, including the trucks. We're on the downhill stretch, though. It's almost October, and we are – it's been the longest year of my life, but we are almost there. Can, can we talk about this Mountain West announcement? First, the Mountain West Conference logo. I don't know who was watching Doctor Who late at night and was like, oh, yeah, Mountain West. That, that, that logo needs to go. It's been, I think we're going on like five years now. It, well, it's it comes still out awful. of like 1980, just like Craig Thompson's haircut. Ugh, it's so bad. I really enjoy the Mountain West still. Like, I love watching Mountain West Conference games. Give me a really? game against – oh, I love it. Give me a game against Wyoming and New Mexico, and I will watch it every time. I, I don't know if it's nostalgia. I don't know what it is, but I still love the Mountain West Conference, but that logo is Dude. bad. I um I cannot like I don't know I have zero I do not follow the Mountain West at all I watch a lot of the American because they all are pretty good offensive teams and they play a fun style of football and it's entertaining but I cannot bring myself to watch the Mountain West and it's like yeah I grew up I know a bunch of dudes who played at Fresno State is like the hometown team don't care about Fresno State that much my grandpa played at New Mexico I have never watched a New Mexico Lobo I've watched like maybe three New Mexico Lobos games that don't involve BYU. In my life it's just you gotta you gotta swallow your pride it's bad football no it's fun football it's like football that i can relate to you know it's farm football you gotta you gotta swallow your pride you and i now that you're back here into the western united states you and i are gonna make a road trip and we're gonna watch i don't know wyoming at colorado state next year and you're gonna enjoy it okay we gotta figure out what region that is either in in either wyoming or colorado and put in for a tag while we're there yeah, that's true uh if it's in wyoming i don't know if you need a tag i think you just shoot stuff did you utah i was talking to my dad today apparently utah now at least in i don't know if it's the whole state or just some areas uh you can get an over-the-counter mountain lion tag for 35 bucks dude they're like getting everywhere so yeah. they've got to do something about it that I was my this brother lives in california and they got an airbnb they got a cabin so that way instead of him just coming out for the hunt it's like my sister-in-law and my nieces and nephews are coming out and they're bringing oh, their laptops so they can stay in school and then just like eat, they'll take turns going out well like what are they gonna do you gotta have dogs and stuff right like to hunt a mountain lion you gotta like tree it and everything or are they just like gonna go and like hope they could sit in a tree stand and find one somewhere I don't know. I didn't. I didn't talk to him that far. I mean, I brother has a dog, but it's a Vista. It's small. Like it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's dog. not gonna like a. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, anyway, the Mount- great bird dogs, very underrated breed, but yeah. <laughs> the Mountain West on their official tweet, it says we're back. They didn't put an exclamation point, which I found interesting. That feels. I mean, to channel my Elaine Bennis, that feels exclamation point worthy, but they did not. But then they have an icon or a, a, a graphic, an image that's attached to it. 2020 Mountain West football season. Games begin week of October 24th. Eight game schedule. Mountain West football championship December 19th. And then it's supposed to be the fine print, but it's in the same size of font as like the header of this image. Subject to approval from state, county, and local officials. 
it feels like they should have got that approval before they made this announcement, right? No, because apparently you just say it, and then if we've learned anything from at least with the Pac-12 and Gavin News, like they trying to pin it on the state, if you try to throw it back on the state, the state will say, oh, no, we never said you couldn't do that. What are you talking about? So you just have to throw it out there and say, this is what we're doing. I don't know. If you control the narrative, you control reality with all of I this. really like you just got to throw that out, you throw it out there and say no this is legit this is real what this is what's happening and everyone says oh, okay i really don't understand i just have such a hard time wrapping my head around what is going on in the state of california nobody knows man um i think that uh, i mean we've covered everything that's on our agenda here you've got You've got a long drive. You got to keep going to Yuma. Let's talk about Yuma. Okay. You are moving to Yuma, Arizona. I am um, moving to Yuma, Arizona. My wife's family's moving out of Yuma, Arizona. I think this weekend, actually. Like, I don't oh, think really? you guys are gonna see. Each so other. my mother-in-law will no longer be your sister-in-law's seminary teacher. Yeah, that is true. My sister-in-law's already gone. I think that the only ones who are there, I have another sister-in-law because my wife is one of like three hundred children. And so there's still one sister-in-law left and my mother-in-law is there. My father-in-law has already moved. They're moving to St. George. Uh, but Yuma, you're right down there. You're pretty much Mexico. So let's just talk about yeah, the like dichotomy. It's like seven, eight miles from the border. Yeah, you're way down there. So the dichotomy of where you're coming from, of South Carolina, and where you're moving to is immense. Yeah, I mean, kind of s- still technically the South because Southern Arizona was actually claimed by the Confederacy. So Is that true? That's yeah. weird. So the union with Arizona and New Mexico the way it is today is that was how the union claimed it. And then with like the line down the middle and then the Confederacy instead of going vertically went horizontally and the Southern <laughs> half of Arizona and New Mexico were claimed by the Confederacy. And there was actually a couple Civil War battles in Arizona. Huh. I had no idea. Yep. The I closest didn't pay enough attention in school. In Mexico to Yuma is Los Algodones. I think uh, that's where my sister-in-law got her braces. Yes. So that is the dental tourism capital of the world. So there's like 3,000 people <laughs> live in Algodones. And there are like something like a thousand dentist offices it's like the town itself is like two and a half square miles but they have shuttles they will come pick you up at a hotel in yuma and bring you to the border like and then you walk across the border go to the dentist's office people there's like there's orthodontists there there's pharmacies to get like whatever stuff you don't need a prescription for like drugs are a lot cheaper whatever there's a lot of little restaurants and shops like a lot of old people like older people will just go like walk or go across the border just to walk around and like buy lunch because it's cheaper and just go hang out tell me how this works uh when you're down there in this particular area that we're talking about, do you just walk across the border? There's not like a port or anything, right? Like you just go. No, there, there's like a border crossing. So, I mean, obviously going into Mexico, it's like pretty lax. I don't care. Like, so last time I drove into Mexico, like they just waved me through, didn't check my passport or anything. But then when you come back across the border, like going back into the U S I mean, there's like a stand and it's basically, it's like going to the airport, right? Like, so if you, 
are driving, then you drive through a little turnstile thing and like, you know, there's someone in a booth and you hand them your passport, whatever. Okay. But it's, so it's like a real border though. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a real, like border. if I, if I were to go across and I'm going to the dentist and Oh crap, I forgot my passport. You're Am I going to get back? back in? Okay. They'll, they'll let, they will racially profile you and let you back in, especially if you have a driver's license, they'll let you back in. Okay. Like, so it's, dude, so it's a real ish border. Yeah. I mean, it's, Technically, I think they can detain you, but it's also like up to the, like it's up to whoever the agent is of like, is this person suspicious, whatever. So it's like, if you have, if you have a driver's license and like, you can pull up, like, I think social media could also help because you can pull up some social media and be like, look, I live in the United States. Here's all this different stuff that I have. And like, you can pull up like your Geico app with your, show your billing address there or whatever. Like you, you just have to justify your citizenship. Right. And so it's okay. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of like the movies. Like you get the occasional guy at the movie that is kind of a jerk about it and makes you show your ticket stub when you want to, like after you go get an extra bowl of popcorn. And they're like, oh, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! Did you actually pay?" And then most people just let you go through. Yeah, I mean, it's like so. Last time I came across, it's like took our passport, flipped it open. Well, I have a passport card too, so it's like take the card, like scan it. Okay, you're good. Bye. I'm like whatever. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, so Algodones is like. There is actually the only town in Mexico where if you go north, south, east, or west, you end up in the United States. It is the northernmost town in Mexico. Um, I never understand how that works. It's because it's like it goes up at an angle. Like the, it's not like a square in the corner of okay. where it hits both California and Arizona. So weird. Um, but yeah, so there's a truckload of dentists there. And you just walk across the border. They take American dollars. Most of them are members of the American Dental Association. Usually they went to dental school somewhere in Latin America. Are they, are they usually like Mexican people or are they white people that have moved? No, to- they, they may not be Mexican. But like they're almost, they're all Latin American. So like okay. a lot of them, like maybe from like Venezuela and went to med school or dental school in Colombia, but then moved there to open a practice or something. Huh. And so a lot of them like live in Yuma and cross the border themselves to go to work. And cause it's like, <laughs> whatever and so they go across and it's like okay you you pay in cash in u.s dollars and right they'll give you whatever form you need to like file with your dental insurance try to get reimbursed in the u.s but it's like if you need a root canal and a crown you could be looking like all in for a root canal and a crown put on you could be looking at like 275 bucks depending on the place what a instead world. of the 22 50 25 yeah some stupid that, amount that you're looking at in the u.s yeah so fun fact about me, I just broke my streak and people are going to think this is gross, but shut up and let me tell my story, people. I had not been up until like three weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago, I had not been to the dentist in 10 years. I hate the dentist. Something about, and it doesn't matter if it's a man, a woman, whatever, fingers in my mouth absolutely grosses me out. I hate it more than anything in the world. So I had gone 10 years without going to the dentist. The last time I went to the dentist was like the week after I got home from my mission, I had nine cavities because in Madagascar, they make their toothpaste out of sugar cane, which really kind of defeats the purpose of brushing your teeth. But I had nine cavities. No, that's, that's real. Like they use, they'll use like actual sugar cane to brush their teeth. So unless you go to like if you don't go to the French stores, like the, the tourist stores to buy your toothpaste, then it's made out of sugar cane. So I had a bunch of cavities there. 
And then I went 10 years without going. And I had this weird day that like my jaw locked up and I've never had like any weird lock jaw type stuff. So I assumed I I probably have a toothache. I haven't been to the dentist in 10 years, so I better go. So I went to the dentist, they checked me out and I gave them the preface of, Hey guys, I haven't been here in a decade. So prepare yourself for the worst. And they said, Oh man, Jeff, you don't have any cavities at the rate you're going, you could go another 10 years. Great. Well, I'm never coming back. So we addressed the, the lockjaw thing. But just a fun fact about me that I have gone to the dentist now once in the last 10 years and a month. Well, you can come down to Yuma. We'll go across the border, buy some fantastic food. Actually, you, we need to plan a trip, a getaway to go to Rocky Point. Mexico. So that's the closest beach to Arizona is in Mexico. And there is a churro stand in Rocky point that is open from 6 PM to 2 AM and you get six (laughs) churros for $1. Okay. I'm in. I mean, I'm not a huge churro guy. Oh, these are good. (laughs) But uh, this, this has some appeal to it. You can get whatever food you want. It is so ridiculously cheap. I go. did make carne asada tonight, just carne asada tacos. And uh, we're going to, let, let's do a little homage to uh, Quarantine Kitchen here to, to send off the show. I made, I guess it's like a succotash is what it is. But uh, to elevate your carne asada taco, you need to make this. Today I did it on the smoker. I've done it on the grill. You can do it over the stove, like whatever. I always do it in a cast iron pan. You take a red onion. Don't use a yellow onion. Yellow onions are a waste. They don't add anything for you. So unless you're yellow making, onions, do not go with Mexican food. Like oh, they no, they don't go with anything. Like Mexican, it's either red or white. You never yeah. use yellow onions when you're. Don't use it. yellow onions for anything. Use a Vidalia onion. You know, a Vidalia that has that sweet onion taste, great. But a yellow onion, unless you were just frying it and making it an onion ring, is a waste of an onion. So that's just another lesson for everybody. Yellow onions are worthless. But you take a red onion, you, you know, saute it, right, until it's translucent, and then you add in corn. You can use fresh corn that you just chop off the cob, frozen corn, canned corn, whatever. You use corn and a bunch of butter. And then you put in your favorite barbecue rub, and you, you sprinkle that in with it. And then you cook it in the, on the grill or in the smoker, whatever, for about an hour. Like you let that really cook. And then you top it with some, I like to throw in some jalapenos at the end. So it's a little bit, there's a little bit of kick. Uh, put some cotilla cheese on there. And uh, if you want to throw on like chunks of queso fresco, then you can do that too. You don't have to do that. Throw that in with whatever taco you're making. Today, I made carne asada tacos, so that's where it got thrown into. But you could put this on a, like a bean and cheese burrito. You could do it with chicken. Like whatever taco you are making, throw this corn, whatever it is. It's kind of like Mexican street corn that you'll get on the cob, but it's the off-the-cob version. It's incredible. I don't know if it's a recipe. I've, I've never used a recipe. I just kind of throw it together. I'm sure there is a recipe that's going to say that, that we could probably link to if we wanted to. But that is my, my heartfelt recommendation to everybody. If you're making tacos, make this dish. 
So, I mean, yeah, so I guess you could call it like a corn salsa. Like you said, with it, it kind of is maybe like a succotash because it does have like the American, you know, of mm-hmm. barbecue rub. But if you're going in the Mexican vein, obviously it's not. So an elote is the street corn on the cob or esquite is in a, in a cup off the cob. So okay, so maybe, maybe that's where esquite, it is. Like, I don't know. The, the house that we're moving into is like, a block and a half away from one of the better of the many, many great Mexican joints in Yuma. So I'm probably going to gain like 15 pounds over the next couple of weeks. Eating I can't wait every day. I can't wait. Uh, as you gain that weight, we need, I also need to give you a shout out and everybody give a shout out to Garrett on Twitter. Give a shout out to Garrett on the message board. He is sick. You would not know that Garrett is sick. I but think he is, our regular listeners should notice my voice is a little deeper. It's not. It's it's well, you got more of a radio voice today. The it, I well, oh, I never, I guess, told you this. Going back to the mission story, so my voice actually like changed, changed on my mission. So just like Russian not hate. until your mission. No, like it did. Like obviously, like my voice changed when I was like in high school. Went through. Well, that's what I was thinking. But then when I like went on my mission like Russian, just like being like a more like guttural language, like more in the back <laughs> of your throat. Like when you think of speaking with a Russian accent, whatever, like stereotypical or whatever <laughs> is like being more in the back of my throat. It like, I came home and people were like, you sound different. Like your voice is deeper. And so like people <laughs> said that to me. And so like my voice, I don't remember what I sounded like in high school, but I had multiple people Tell me that. How strange. Dude, your voice sounds deeper than it did before you left. Well, today, your voice sounds a little nasalier than it does on a regular day. Uh, So shout out to you for pushing through in a crappy hotel in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, while you're sick, to bring people this episode of Give Them Hell, Brigham. You know, just trying to give them hell so we can keep our fans happy. Got to get our numbers back up because everyone was sad that the Army game got canceled. So we didn't have as many listeners last week, but hopefully you know, we're back I, with a vengeance. And we're going to get to do a great Troy recap because we're going to beat the Trojans. And, last and that, re- that recap better get some views because uh, the game kicks off at 8.15. So I, I, want, I just want to make sure that people realize now that in order for us to do that show, we're going to have to be awake until like 2 o'clock in the morning. I have three kids that are six years of age or less. Me being up until two o'clock in the morning, that will ruin my next like four to seven days. Or we do it on Sunday. No, 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 no. We give the people what they want when they want it. And I don't know if they want it at two o'clock in the morning, but if they do, it's going to be there. Okay. I will commit to that and we will give the people good coverage Win or lose, our post-game recap, unlike other unnamed podcasts in this market. Uh, every other podcast in this market. Yeah. So we're working hard for you, so you should work hard for us. Like, subscribe, share, leave reviews. Go to GiveEmHellBrigham.com. You can buy shirts. Go to Etsy and look at Pinnacle Plays. Buy yourself a poster. It'll look great in your office your work from home office because none of us are ever going back to work ever again because life is over as we know it. But let's give them hell, Jeff. Give them hell.